in Ezekiel chapter 33, God is talking to Ezekiel and he says that Ezekiel, you have a responsibility. You are my watchman. And when I tell you to speak to Israel, you need to speak what I'm telling you to speak. And if you warn them of what I'm telling them and they don't listen, that's on them. But if you don't warn them and you don't do what you're supposed to, you're not being faithful to me, then their blood is on your head. And I look at this today as an opportunity uh, as a teacher here. You know, to get to see some of the inner workings of our school that other chapel speakers probably don't get to see. They come in and they get to share, but they, they don't get to see the underlying uh, things that teachers get to see. And we get to see, and I, I get to observe many, many things in, in this school. Uh, and it gives me some insight to recognize and address uh, spiritual things of our school and things that I think we as a school are, can be in danger of. And I want to address a very important aspect of our school that I think we are definitely in danger of this morning. Uh, as I present this, I would humbly want to warn you of a danger that is here, but I need to also humbly submit to you that I recognize that what I'm going to talk about is something that I recognize as a danger in my life, that I do not have this figured out. I do not do this as I need to, and nobody can. But that doesn't mean that we stop from trying. So I'm not up here to point a finger and say, you know, you all need to change and look at me how great I am because I know I'm inadequate. Uh, I know me. I know my sinfulness. But there's things in our school that need to be addressed. And so I want to ask two questions this morning to start out with. I want to challenge you. I hopefully will challenge you, hopefully encourage you uh, to really think through some of these issues uh, individually, but then also as a school. And the question that I would ask, the two questions that I would ask this morning are this. Do you, or do we as a school, truly have a love for God and Jesus? Do we truly have a love for God and Jesus? And the second question, do we truly have a love for others? For our fellow students, for our friends, for other people? Do we truly have a love that way? Do you individually have a love for other people? And the Bible talks a lot about this. We could go many places. We're going to be flipping a little bit through. Um, I probably won't have you turning a lot of places. I'll just kind of give references, and you can write those down if you want to look at them. But the place that we need to go to is in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to look at this area. So if you want to flip over in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, and I want to deal with what John shares with these people that he's writing to about love. 1 John uh, definitely has some recurring themes. One of the recurring themes is love. And this is the last time in this book, uh, at least in this first book of John, that uh, he talks about this. And, and he's constantly and continuously gone back to looking at love and what does love need to look like as Christians. And so this morning I want to look at this and, and read through this and then truly try to understand it and talk to you about what is uh, three aspects of love that we need to understand. And, and hopefully this would be a blessing to you. Hopefully it would be a challenge for you uh, as we go through this. But 1 John 4, 7 through 11, uh, let me read this for you this morning. And just listen to the words that the Lord would share with you. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. 
for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that he might live through him, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray. Lord, as we look into your scripture this morning, there is so much that we could deal with and, and understand about love, and I know that I will just scratch the surface, but my, my prayer is that uh, we would truly look at ourselves, that we would truly look at our hearts individually, but also as a school, and look at what we are doing and what we are about here. God, we know that we need to love you. We know that we could never love you unless you loved us first. And what an amazing truth that is. And yet it is one that we need to continually be reminded of and understand. And so I pray in this morning as we go through here and look at your scripture and your word, that uh, your word would come alive, that it would move in each one of us, that it would affect and change us to being more what you would want us to be. Father, we thank you for the faithfulness that you give to us, and we pray that we would be uh, as faithful back to you. Uh, may you bless this time, may you guard my words, and I just ask this in your son's name. As we look at uh, love, I want to look at three aspects of love, and I think this is a really important. It's stuff that you have heard before, and uh, so, you know, it's probably easy to shut down and say, okay, I, this is another just talk on love, and we deal with this all the time. But I would hope that you would listen and hear a few things, because I think there's some truths here that, that we have missed that maybe we need to uh, recommit to. And I want to look at three aspects of love. The, first, the three aspects are this, God's love towards us, our love towards God, and then our love towards other people. And we're going to look at each part and kind of break this down, or I want to look at this, and, and kind of deal with what First John has to say and, uh, and see what we can pull out of this. So if we look, let's, we're going to talk about God's love towards us, first of all, because I think that is the most important to understand, um, and it is something that we definitely need to understand. If you go to verse 7 of John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, uh, we see, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And I want to deal with that there. Love... The noun, not the verb, the action, but love is from God. And if we look at this, the Greek word is agape. You've probably heard of the agape love before. Um, agape love is a benevolent love. It is one that is full of compassion, charity, and kind-heartedness. And that is the love that God, uh, that's the type of love that God is. But I find that it's even more, it's deeper. And we have to understand what is the love of God. And it's this here. This love word that we use is a word where it's God's love, okay, and this is the meaning of it, is not shown by doing what the one that is loved wants, but is by doing what the one who loves deems as necessary. Okay, so in other words, what we have here is when we say God is love, it's not the love that you want from God but it's the love that God gives to you that you need. God does what is best for you, not what you think is best for you. He does not do what you desire, 
He does what he knows is best and what you need. You know, an example of this would be my kids. Uh, at nighttime, my kids would definitely prefer not to brush their teeth. They would much prefer to eat candy and go to bed. And we would know what the consequences of that would be very quickly. So I don't give them candy. I make them brush their teeth and I send them to bed as they need to. Because it's what's best for them. They desire one thing and I know that that's not good for them. And so I love them enough to say, you know what? You don't get what you desire. You get what you need. And that's a good toothbrushing and, and heading to bed. It's kind of hard to get Corinne to do that sometimes, but I'm working on this stuff. Verse 8. We also see in verse 8 that God is love, and, and that's his character. He is love. He is the thing that we need. We see in uh, John chapter 3.16, very familiar verses. For God so loved the world, he loved the world that he sent his only son so that we could have eternal life. Paraphrased a little bit there. But he gave his one and only son. He knew what the world needed. You know, what's interesting when we look at that verse, most people in this world do not want Jesus. I mean, we'd have to see, and we, we see the world. Most people in this world do not want Jesus. They don't want what God knows is best for them. But God is not about what man wants. He's about what man needs. And he knew that each one of us needed a savior. He knew that Jesus needed to come to bring peace, to bring forgiveness of sinfulness, and to bring eternal life. If you look on in verse 9, what you see here is the love of God, this love that God has, this, this love of doing what is best for you, whether you desire it or not. That it is made known and that we can see it as believers. That if you are a Christian, you can see this. It is what in verse 9 says is manifested. It's shown, it's made known to us. That God sent his only son, kind of sounds like John 3.16 again in verse 10, or excuse me, verse 9, that he sent his only son so that we might have eternal life. And when we understand the love of God, we understand, in verse 10 then, that God's love does not depend upon us loving him. It doesn't depend on that at all. Because very honestly, and we can go to other scriptures to look at this, we didn't love God. You would never love God on your own. As a matter of fact, we hated God. And if you are not a Christian, you hate God even today. So God's love did not depend upon us loving him first. It only depended upon him loving us, his children, so much that he sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is kind of a big word, and uh, it's a word that definitely we need to understand. Uh, propitiation means satisfaction or appeasement. And so when you look at this verse, what we see is, verse 10, uh, God loved us and sent his son to be the appeasement of our sin, to satisfy the sinfulness of man in God's eyes. God gives us, and I find this amazing, is God's love, he gives us what we do not deserve. And I know that you hear that a lot, and I know you've heard that before. And yet it's so important for us to truly take some time and not just let that flow through our ears and out the other way, but do we truly understand that? We never loved God, 
We never will love God on our own, and yet God loved us. God made the moves as we need, as we needed to have eternal life to live with him. God bought you with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. So even though we fail, for Christians, even though we fail, we fall short, we, we sin, Christ lived the life that did not fail. He lived a life perfectly without sin for you if you are a believer. He lived a perfect life without sin for me. And so if we believe in him, we will have eternal life. We will have that forgiveness of sin. If you're not a believer today, that is available to you. That you can have eternal life. That you can be under the blood of Jesus Christ because you can never live perfectly on your own, but there is one that can live perfectly for you. And I would encourage you to talk to people and, and pray about that and, and come to that understanding. Who else could rescue you from your failings? Who else could offer his only son? Who else invites you to call him Father? Only our God. Only our holy God. God made a way so that you could come to him. Do we understand that? Do we, do we truly understand the, the love that God has for you, for his children? The love that God really wants uh, for you to understand. Well, if God loves you like this, then what should be your response? If God truly is that concerned about you and he, he bought you and, and made it available for you to have your sins forgiven because you can't do that on your own, what is your response? What should be your response? Well, pretty simple to see and, again, very basic, but March 12, Mark 12, 30. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. As a Christian, our response needs to be, God, I love you with every aspect of my being. As a non-Christian, your response to God is, I need to love you with all aspects of my being. Now, as a non-Christian, you're probably not going to do that. But that doesn't change the fact that you are supposed to do that. You know, in this verse here in Mark 12, it's not... You can love God if you want to. You know, if it suits you, you can do it. It is, you shall. It's a command. You shall love God. That isn't for just certain people. It's for everybody. And oh, we fall so short. We fall so short. God loves us. Our response needs to be, God, I need to love you back. And again, that does not come on my own, but it comes through God drawing us. So we need to look at our love towards God. What does that look like? What does that need to be about? And I want to share a story this morning. And uh, my girls always give me a bad time about the story because it's one that they've heard me speak many times. But I think it's a, it's a good story. It makes a good point. So I'd like you to listen to this here. Uh, back in the 1800s, a young Englishman traveled to California in search of gold. After several months of prospecting, he struck it rich. On his way home, he stopped in New Orleans. Not long into his visit, he came upon a crowd of people, all looking in the same direction. Approaching the crowd, he recognized that they had gathered for a slave auction. Slavery had been outlawed in England, 
for many years. So this young man's curiosity drew him to watch as a person became someone else's property. He heard sold just as he joined the crowd. And a middle-aged black man was taken away. Next, a beautiful young black girl was pushed up onto the platform and made to walk around so that everyone could see her. The miner heard vile jokes and comments that spoke of evil intentions from those around him. Men were laughing as their eyes remained, remained fixed on this new item up for sale. The bidding began. Within a minute, the bid surpassed what most slave owners would pay for a black girl. As the bidding continued higher and higher, it was apparent that two men wanted her. In between their bids, they laughed about what they were going to do with her and how the other one would miss out. The miner stood silent as anger welled up inside of him. Finally, the man, or finally one man, bid a price that was beyond the reach of the other. The girl looked down. The auctioneer cried out, going once, going twice. And just before the final call, the miner yelled out a price that was exactly twice the previous bid, an amount that exceeded the worth of any man. The crowd laughed, thinking that the miner was only joking, wishing that he could have the girl for himself. The auctioneer motioned to the miner to come and show his money. The miner opened up the bag of gold he had brought for the trip. The auctioneer shook his head in disbelief as he waved the girl over to him. The girl walked down the steps of the platform until she was eye-to-eye with the miner. She looked him straight in the eyes and spat in his face and said through clenched teeth, I hate you. The miner, without a word, wiped his face, paid the auctioneer, took the girl by the hand, and walked away from the still laughing crowd. He seemed to be looking for something in particular as they walked up one street and down another. Finally, he stopped in front of some sort of store, though the slave girl did not know what type of store it was. She waited outside as the dirty-faced miner went inside and started talking to an elderly man. She couldn't make out what they were talking about, but at one point, their voices grew louder, and, and she overheard the store clerk say, but it's the law. It's the law. Peering in, she saw the miner pull out his bag of gold and pour out what was left on the table. What seemed like a look of disgust, the clerk picked up the gold and went in a back room. He came out with a piece of paper, and both the miner and he signed it. The young girl looked away as the miner came out the door. Stretching out his hand, he said to the girl, here are your manumission papers. These are the papers that say you're free. The girl did not look up. He tried again. Here, these papers say that you're free. Take them. I hate you, said the girl, refusing to look up. Why do you make fun of me? No, listen, he pleaded. These are your freedom papers. You are a free person. The girl looked at the papers and looked at him. Looked at the papers once again. You just bought me, and now you're setting me free. That's why I bought you. I bought you to set you free. The young girl fell to her knees in front of the miner, tears streaming down her face. You bought me to set me free. You bought me to set me free, she said over and over. The miner said nothing. Clutching his muddy boots, the girl looked up at the miner and said, all I want to do is serve you because you bought me to set me free. What's your response to the love of God? Got a question for you. Who here loves math? Raise your hand. Who loves math? Got a few. Thought it'd be a lot more. All right. Mr. O, thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. Who here loves hamburgers? A few more. Who here likes or loves puppy dogs? All right. There we go. Who here loves Jesus? Okay. 
Now, I ask that question for a reason. What thoughts go through your head when somebody says that? Does your hand just go up without thinking, oh, I love Jesus and I want everybody to know? Or is it kind of one of these things where it's like, well, what's everybody else doing around me? Okay, they're doing it, so I'll do it as well. What is your response? Are you embarrassed by loving Jesus? Why do you respond like you did? And I don't want to read too much into this, and God knows your heart, but if you're a Christian, and in this kind of an environment where we're surrounded by fellow believers, if we can't acknowledge openly our love of the Savior, uh, we need to fall in love with Jesus a lot more. We need to understand what God did for us. So do you truly love Jesus? And here's some questions that I'd, I'd ask you to think through. Do you have a concern for the lost? If you love Jesus, you will have a concern for the lost, the unsaved people of this world. Do you have a desire to share the gospel of Jesus with other people? Are you sharing the gospel with others? We can have a lot of desire, but are we actually doing it? Do you strive to obey Jesus' commands? Do you live out your faith? Does it affect what you do with your life? Before you do anything, do you stop and say, what would Jesus do in this situation? Do you truly think about that? Or do you just kind of do what you want? And then come back and say later, oh, well, maybe that wasn't the best choice. In Luke 6, 46 through 49, Jesus says this to a group of people he's talking with. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? You love me? Then why aren't you doing what I say? Why aren't you not being obedient? Have you lost your first love? Do you love the things of this world more than you love Jesus Christ? Everyone else is doing this, so why shouldn't I do it too? The world is chasing after these things, and those are the things that I need to be chasing after. Are you different? Are your actions different than other high school kids in this state, in this world? If I put you up against a high school kid from any other high school that's a public school in this place, would they see a difference if they observed you? Or are you the same? Is there a difference? What is the love of Jesus making you do right now in this time of your life? You say you love him, so what is that love spurring on in you to do? Those are hard questions. They're questions I have to ask myself. But if we truly love Jesus, we're going to ask those questions, and we're going to be challenged to say, you know what? I can improve. I can do more. Not on my own, but God, help me to improve. Help me to love Christ more because I can't do it on my own. Well, how do you fall more deeply in love with Jesus? How does some of this stuff come into play? And I, I think there's some good things to look at here. I think they're very important to look at. The first one is meditate on Christ's words and sayings. You want to fall in love with Jesus more? Then get into your word and get into Jesus' sayings and meditate on them. And I'm not talking about just reading a chapter and saying good and going on your way. But I'm saying meditate on one verse of Christ's sayings. 
and deal with it. And maybe you deal with it for a week. Maybe you deal with it for a month. But you meditate upon what are you sharing. You know, I thought about uh, making up this sheet of paper and giving you 30 of Christ's sayings that you could meditate on for a month. And there's so many of them. There's so many of them. And it's like, how in the world do I pick 30? And so then I decided, well, maybe I should just pick four and bring four, and, and maybe that would be enough. And that would be enough at least to start out with. Um, but there are so many. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Abundant life. Take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and light. You'll find rest. The list goes on and on. But meditate on Christ's words. You can't do that if you're not in his word. I think we need to meditate on the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you truly take time and go back and think about what Christ has done by dying on a cross? Do you meditate upon the gospel? You want to fall more deeply in love with Jesus? If you'll do that, I truly believe that that will make a difference. You need to meditate on what Jesus did for you. You need to recognize how much, how much we are in debt to what Jesus did for us. Amazing things to think through. In Luke chapter 7, verse 47, uh, there's a story of the immoral woman. Jesus is invited by a Pharisee to come and eat supper with him or to come and eat dinner. And so Jesus comes and he's, he's reclining at the table. And there's a woman, says she's an immoral woman. Uh, that would mean sexually immoral, probably an adulteress, uh, might be a prostitute, could be anything like that, but, but a woman that is not of high standards. And she is crying at the feet of Jesus. And it says in the story as Jesus is eating and reclining at the table, this woman is wetting his feet with her tears. And she's taking her hair and she's wiping his feet and cleaning his feet. You know, uh, a very uh, lowly type of action there. Because if you know anything about the area, feet would be pretty dirty. But this woman is doing this. She's wiping her tears off with her hair. And the Pharisee thinks to himself, you know what? If Jesus knew the scumbag that is touching him right now, he would not be letting her touch him. And Jesus knows his thoughts. And so he gives this little parable. And he says, if there's two people that owe money to a master... And one owns just, owes just a little bit, and somebody owes a lot. And the master forgives both of them their debt. Who's going to be more uh, happy? Who's going to, to be more in love with the master? And this Pharisee says, the one that owed a huge debt that was forgiven of them, they're going to love that master more. And Jesus says, exactly. And he says to Simon, who's the Pharisee, he says, Simon, you know what? I came into your house, you never offered me to wash my feet, which is an insult. You didn't do it, and she's doing it with her tears. And what you need to notice, Simon, is she is a lady that has much to be forgiven. You, on the other hand, you actually would have the same amount to be forgiven, but you don't think you need that much forgiven. He says this, this is quoting out of Luke chapter 7, verse 47. It says, For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he is for, who is forgiven little, loves little. And what he's dealing with here is, Simon, you think that you're good. You don't think that you need forgiveness. This lady that is an immoral woman, 
She needs her forgiveness and she recognizes that. When you think you're holy, when you think you're without sin, when you're not that bad, you don't recognize how much you need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that much to you. And it doesn't really, is a, it's really of no value of, for you when you're forgiven. But you respond differently when you recognize how sinful you are, how big of a debt you owe, and what the price was for the one who paid your debt. God, all I want to do, Jesus, all I want to do is serve you because of what you did for me. You paid my debt. That's the love of God. That's the love that we need to have towards Jesus and towards God. Well, there's one other love that we need to talk about real quick here. What about our love towards other people then? So God loved us. That's the first step. He, if he didn't take that action, we would never love him. He did do it. He draws us to him. We can understand that what he did, we can love him back or we can strive to love him back as well as we can. But we have to deal with the second part of Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. We love God, the greatest command, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then we also need to, if we truly love God, love other people. If you go back into 1 John chapter 4, you can see this in a lot of places. Verse 11, if God loved us, then we also ought to love one another. Verse 7, let us love one another. You go back in 1 John, you see it over and over again. Christians, love your brothers. Christians love other people. And this love now is no longer a noun, but it is a verb. It is action. Love one another. Love your neighbor. Verse 20 is kind of a scathing statement. You can't say that you love God and hate your fellow Christian. You can't say that you love him and hate your brother. And yet how often do we kind of do those things. Verse 21, God's commandment is to you to love your brother, your fellow believer. Mark 12, 31, we talked about love your neighbor as yourself, the second greatest commandment. And when we talk about love for others, what does that need to look like? Well, the love, this word here in the Greek, means a genuine concern for other people. Are you concerned for other people? Or are you concerned about yourself and what you're doing? It's a genuine compassion for other people. You know, it's easy as a teacher, I, I sit and I watch and I see hurts. I see people that are unloved. And I see many people not even see that and walk on by. And again, I do the same thing. But we can't be that way. We need to love our neighbor. This is a self-sacrificing love. It's a selfless love. And in this word, when you, when you look at the Greek, it is a habit that is practiced over and over. We need to love. It's not just one time, but it's a habitual love where you do it over and over. And this is something, that, as I studied this, that maybe you've recognized this before. I never did. But this love is something that you can't give. Well, let me say this first. It's something, this love is something you can't give if you don't have it yourself. So if God never loved you, and if you don't love God, you're never going to love other people. Oh, sure, Jesus talks about the unbelievers love their kids, and, and I understand that, but not the type of love we're telling, dealing with here, the natural compassion for somebody that is unlovable, and we love them anyway. This love is unique to Christians. So when you read 1 John 4, this love that is talked about here is not able to be done by non-believers. 
You cannot have this love if you're not born of God. But if you are born of God, then this love needs to be flowing out of you. And I think so often we kind of compress it and keep it inside. In Luke chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan, when the people, the man asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives the story of the Good Samaritan. And we probably, for the most part, know the story. I look at that Samaritan and, and I look at the love that he had for this man that he'd never met before, that was an enemy of his that he should not even care about. And he cared for him. Not only did he care for him, but it cost him. It cost him a lot of money. He took him to a, a hotel and he put him up in a hotel. How many of you right now, if there was somebody that, that was, you were being called to do that with, would say, okay, I'm going to take you to the hotel and I'm going to leave you there for a week? That's a lot of money. That's probably seven, eight, nine hundred dollars. And it's not like he thought, well, maybe I should do it or maybe I should. Maybe I should find the cheapest hotel. Maybe I can find something, you know, somebody's house where I can put him up. He just does it. And the other thing that gets me with the Good Samaritan is he's not looking for recognition. He's not going around, hey, look what I'm doing here. I've got this guy and my donkey and I'm taking him to the hotel and I'm going to put him up. And, you know, everybody look at me and give me praise on me for who I am and what I'm doing. It's love. It's love in the finest form, in the purest form. That I am concerned about you. And I don't care what other people think. I'm taking care of you. I have compassion and a genuine concern for you, for this man that has been injured. And it costs a lot. And yet I'm willing to do that. Do you have a love towards others? In our school, do we have a love towards other people? your fellow students, your friends, your family. I think there's a lot of things to look at and to talk about, and we need to talk about this. Why do I want to talk about this? Why did I talk about this today? Because I see compromise, and I see unrepentant hearts in our school. I see compromise and unrepentant hearts at our school. I see people being influenced by the world, and seeing nothing wrong with it. I see pride and arrogance. I see people more concerned about loving themselves and loving what they have going on than loving others. A verse as I was preparing this was one that that just kind of I thought was worthwhile to mention. Matthew 27, verses 37 through 39. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah, For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be? You know, in this verse here, what's going on? The people are not necessarily doing sinful things. There's nothing wrong with marriage. There's nothing wrong with getting together. But they were so caught up in their daily activities that they were unconcerned about what was about to happen. They poo-pooed Noah and the ark and seeing an ark and, oh, why in the world is that thing here? And what's Noah saying to us? Let me paraphrase this a little bit. For as in the days of NC, they were spending their time playing sports and computer games, doing homework and enjoying parties. They were going to movies and concerts. They were concentrating on getting good ACT scores and working towards grades to get into a good college but did not have the time to encourage or love those who were in need until the opportunity was missed. 
Are we so caught up in our daily activities? Are we so caught up in what we're about, we're unconcerned about others? What are we doing in C? What are we doing? Revelation 2.4, the letter to the church at Ephesus. Jesus is talking to these churches and he says this, Church, I have one thing against you, and it's this. You have left your first love. NC, have you left your first love? Have you left your love of Jesus Christ? Matthew 24, 12, in the end times, some people's love will grow cold. NC, has your love grown cold? There's a statement, kind of a familiar one, says this, familiar, familiarity breeds contempt. What does that mean? It means this, when you have extensive knowledge or a close association with someone or something, it leads to a loss of respect for them or to it. Are you so familiar with the gospel? Are you so familiar with the spiritual things, the Jesus things of this world, of this school, that it's breeded contempt? That it's just kind of like, yeah, I hear this. No big deal. Has it breeded contempt in you? You've lost respect for it. You've lost the respect, the honor for Jesus Christ. Is your life more about you or is it more about God? What I'm asking is for you to take a good look. What I'm asking myself is to take a good look. Where is my heart? Where is your heart and where is it going? What in your life are you doing that is not towards your benefit? What in your life are you doing that is not for you? This whole talk can be summarized in Mark 12, 30, 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We could have done it in two seconds and been done. And yet there's so much in there to, to unwrap and to deal with there. What are we doing? What are we doing? What I would ask you this morning is if you are working through some of these things and you know there's areas in your life that, you know what, I don't love. There's people that I know I need to love and I'm not doing it. Then I would ask you to humbly submit yourself to God to confess your sin, to confess your sinfulness, to repent, to have a change of mind and a change of direction. I would pray that you would ask God to change your heart, to open up your eyes and to see through the filter of Jesus' eyes. That's hard to do. Again, I'm not up here to say, you know, you need to change and, and I'm perfect and I love perfectly because I do not. I'm very selfish. But that doesn't mean that, that we don't continue to strive to become more what Christ would want us to be. I'm going to pray in a second here. There's two questions as you go to e-group that I would give you, okay? This is something I'd like you to discuss. What change in your life would you be, what change in your life would you be willing to commit to that would help you grow in your love for Jesus and display the love of Christ to others in our school? What change in your life would you be willing to commit to that would help you grow in your love for Jesus and display the love of Christ to others in our school? That's a question for Christians. 
Because again, if you're not a Christian, you will never be able to do this. And even as Christians, we struggle with it, but we can because of Christ in us. The other question I would ask is this. How can your e-group help you to be accountable in making that change? How can you hold each other accountable in your e-group to make that change? No, my prayer is that you would love God, love Jesus Christ with all of your whole heart. That's my prayer for myself. My prayer is that, God, I would be a person that would be compassionate towards people that need compassion. We need to improve. I need to improve. So I want to give you that challenge this morning. Let's go ahead and we're going to bow in prayer. Father, teach us to love. Teach us to love the way that you loved us. Teach us to not be so caught up in the things of this world that so quickly pass away that are worthless when we look at eternity. And help us do the things that are worthwhile. Not because we're looking for our own benefit, not because we want to be praised by man, because we want to be praised by you. Lord, uh, you know each one of the hearts of each one of us in here. And you know we fall so short. You know that we'll never be perfect at loving others. But may we continue to fight, to strive, to make strides in becoming people and a school that loves May you help us to understand what that truly looks like. May we fall more and more in love with Jesus Christ. And when we fall more in love with him, the things of this, of this world go dim. And all of a sudden we see things differently. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the high standard that you set in your word that we need to, uh, we need to understand and, and work towards. God, we fall so short. And yet, you continue to be faithful. You continue to work in us and move us to become more what you'd want us to be. God, may you make each one of us sinful people, the wretched. May you make us as holy as we can be as a sinful person. May that be our prayer. May we continue to to love you and praise you and glorify and honor you in our life. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.